Love Talk Radio. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the official Redbird Rants podcast. This is episode number 37. I'm Dr. Michael D. Miles, editor of Redbird Rants, one of the two editors. Tito Rivera, my co-editor, is off for the night, won't be joining us. But we've got a great show in store for you, our listeners. And tonight's contributors are the great, in alphabetical order, the great Dan Campbell, Dan I understand that you're in the dreaded Chicago Cubs country, and it is quite frigid. How are you doing? It is, it's very cold, but I'm happy to be here. And I'm glad you listed this alphabetically because I could only come in third any other way. <laughs> well, now that I'll have to tell you that that's debatable, and I would tell you that you probably do come in third in some competitions, but I, I have to imagine that our other contributor would bring up the caboose in, in yet others. And speaking of our caboose for tonight, that is our very own Larry Levin. And Larry, uh, as you and I were sharing before we got on the air, man, we're suffering through some colds. Are, are you feeling okay? Yeah, I've just, uh, I've been, my wife and I have both been uh, inflicted with it, and I know you have been, and we're just, and Dan mentioned beforehand that his girlfriend is, and we're just going to try and uh, muscle through it tonight. And we have enough to muscle through. I think I think we will get through it. Um, I wanted to put a little special plug out to the fellow writers for, at Redbird Rants. We, t- today and in a couple of days prior, we had some very spirited discussions in our Twitter group that we have, our private Twitter group, and, and where we talk about all things St. Louis Cardinals. And it it got pretty interesting today. And and Dan, I know that uh, that you you were right in the midst of that. You want to before we get into anything, just give us a glimpse, if you would, of what it's like to be a part of a team where we have those sorts of conversations. I'll t- I tell you, it's great. Uh, all of our contributors, especially the people that are new who get at it right away, they jump in. They bring compelling, challenging sometimes not popular, but thought-provoking ideas about acquisitions, strategies the team should employ, and things that they would like to see in their favorite brand of Cardinals baseball. And we don't always agree, and I think that's one of the things that makes our site so compelling, is that we don't agree. And people such as Larry and myself uh, have disparate views on certain things, But we decide to write about it together. And uh, that's what I would say as sort of a a practice point and a note for the Twitter troll universe. I hear all the time people taking cheap shots at articles that people wrote and, you know, just making fun and making light of what is a lot of effort and passion that goes into these posts. And I challenge anybody to join a group like this, pick up the pen and put your thoughts out there to be criticized. It's incredibly humbling. It's powerful. And there's no better group to do it in, and that's why I love being a part of this group. Larry, what do you, what do you think? Did I get everything right there, or did I miss the mark? No, I hate you all, actually. So so it, it works out fine. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, it, it, it is good. And, and, you know, you always think, as a sports fan, right, you're entitled to this perception that you know it all you sit in front of your tv and you rant and you rave and you say he should have done this or he should have done that or or why did Matheny make that dumb call or whatever you know and, and what, what we always get in our group is a different perspective on all those things and and that's why we welcome you know new writers and not only going you know one-on-one with the people we already know but 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 encouraging new folks to consider joining the play because it's really fun, and it's always um, it's always mind altering, um, and even without you know drugs or alcohol. 
And I, by the way, I'm not saying that I'm not drinking alcohol right now, but but you can get your kicks either way by being a Redbird Rams writer. So. <laughs> uh, th- thanks, you guys. That was a really incredible plug for us. I wanted to talk about that just briefly because I thought we did have such great discourse over the last couple of days within our private group. And also because I wanted to bring mention, and you guys said it better than I could have, to that notion that, number one, we are a community at Redbird Rants. We, we have a camaraderie amongst us. And we are all, as you pointed out, Dan, we are very disparate people who are in different places of the country. We have actually never met in person Uh, Some of us have met each other personally. Some of us have not. But we come together under one umbrella of an idea, our passion, our love for the St. Louis Cardinals. And we write things that we want people to read. And, and yes, we want them to agree with, but but we're okay when they don't because our, our purpose is to not write just so that everybody likes it, but to write how we're feeling and to write what we're reading and our reactions to it. And I love that you said, Dan, especially that it's a lot of effort because, you know, as you pointed out, there are a lot of people out there who like to take cheap shots. And we, uh, you know, I'm I'm really proud that all of our writers have a a very strong, thick skin and will continue to write their opinions and put them out there. And I, I love the challenge that you both set forth, which is join us. Come and write for us. Come and share your opinions. We're not asking you to come and agree with us. Because as you've heard both uh, Dan and Larry say, and, and actually you two, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, you two have actually written an article together where you went back and forth. I know, Larry, you've spearheaded some of those. Uh, am I right? In we're working, we're working on a new you? one right now, actually. Because you'll see it over the weekend. Yeah. See, that's the sort of stuff that, I, that just is pretty incredible. When you get two writers come together and say, I don't agree with you, but I'm going to write with you at the same time and share with the the world our opinions and our thoughts. Guys, let's jump right into it. Dan said something very interesting about how humbling it is to pick up on feedback from readers. And again, something that we welcome every time at Redbird Rants. And that got me thinking about the changes to the 2018 coaching staff or the changes for the 2018 coaching staff. So I should say the changes to the 2017 coaching staff and how humbling that must have been to some of those individuals. Let's start, and I'm just going to toss out sort of a, a, in chronological order, the changes that we have seen happen. <clears throat> you actually have to go back into the season of 2017 to see the first change. And that came when Chris Maloney was let go. We had all this, uh, up-and-down movement of the coaches when Budoska came and joined the Major League staff, when Pop Warner came and joined, when they promoted, you know, at the, before the season, we had this creation of the quality control coach, and Mike Schilt out of Memphis came up, and then he served as the quality control coach. And then when Maloney was sent packing, Mike Schilt took up the reins at third base and where he lasted for the rest of the season. Well, then the 2017 season went out with a whimper, as we're all aware of, and we waited in anticipation of what was to befall. Many of us, myself included, probably much to the chagrin of one of our new writers, was very (laughs) much opposed to Mike Matheny and John Mabry. Uh, And I'll tell you, um, I kept waiting for the hammer to fall, and it did not. And the next change that happened, however, was the firing of Derek Lilliquist um, and Blake Isley, the uh, bullpen coach, they took the fall. They fell on the sword for Matheny and Mabry and for the errors and flaws of the 2017 team. Then we went into what I call the wait for winter, the cold war of waiting for something to happen, waiting for the coaching staff to be announced, waiting for any changes. Oh, and by the way, that's right. We lost our bench coach. He went packing to the San Francisco Giants. So now we're absent a pitching coach, a bench coach, and we're left with Matheny and his lackey, John Mabry. Well, fast forward a little while, and you get to the first bit of good news, and that was the return of Jose Oquendo coming back to the Cardinals, also the return of Willie McGee coming into a coaching role yet to be specified. Fast forward just a little while further, and you find out that our new pitching coach is going to be none other 
and Mike Mike Maddox from the Nationals. Let's start with you, Larry. What are your thoughts on these changes? And just give us that your opinion. What what is what does all this mean? Well, you know, I mean, I, I share your concerns about about um, manager Matheny and his, you know, what I consider to be a fairly pedestrian analytical view of things. Um, I, I don't think he is a big, at least at least the way that he manages superficially, he does not appear to be a big um, fan or student of analytics to the extent that others are in the evolution of the game. But I think it's also hard to play devil's advocate on myself. You know, it's also hard to look at a guy who has had, what now, six consecutive winning seasons um, and, and to send him, send him packing. Um, you know, I wouldn't have done the three-year renewal. I would have done a one- or two-year renewal. Um, but so be it. He got the three-year renewal. And, and so now what do the Cardinals do when, when they perceive that there's been an underperformance? Well, they say, look, Mike, we're going to surround you with people that we think represent, you know, the best of all possible worlds in the, in the, in the coaching positions around you. Um, some that they had to do um, because uh, personnel left, like David Bell, who went to San Francisco, who's extremely well-regarded, and others of their own volition because they thought that they didn't represent the best person in the best spot. I will say that I think for the most part the Cardinals have shown incredible um, flexibility in how they've filled these spots because they haven't simply looked forward or backward. They've done both, right? I mean, they, they dug back to two of the icons of the franchise in Jose Akendo and Willie McGee. In Jose Akendo, they, they restore what I think almost everyone has said has been a lack of consistent discipline in fielding and execution for the team over at least the last two seasons. In Willie McGee, they bring a guy who has a very good gut instinct and sense for how the game is played. And they also reinforce the notion that this is a franchise that has always been there and will always be there uh, and is not just about today. On the other hand, they go and they, they take Mike Schilt and they move him from a base coach to a bench coach. He is very highly regarded. He's been a manager. He's somebody who certainly could be a potential candidate for the managerial spot if for whatever reason they decide that Matheny doesn't progress with the people around him. And they got an incredibly experienced and super highly regarded pitching coach in uh, the brother of Greg Maddox. You know, they didn't know at the time that the Cardinals and the Nationals would flip pitching coaches. Um, And we'll have to wait to see if we got the better end of it. But Maddox is, you know, I have not read anything from anybody who doesn't consider him to be exceptionally highly regarded. So, so I give the Cardinals very strong marks for everything with the limited exception of, you know, re-signing Mazzini a year ago for three years and, and continuing to give him yet another chance, which at that point I probably would not have done. Sorry for all that rambling. Yeah. No, 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 that is perfect. Thank you so much for the, the, those thoughts. And, Dan, what did your gut tell you when all these things were happening? Well, I'll tell you, there's been a lot of good points made, so I'll, I'll, I'll be brief on this one. The real loser here is Derek Lilliquist, who did nothing wrong last year. In fact, uh, the starting pitching was the strongest aspect of this team, and he did pretty good with the bullpen for what he had. Um, given that, you know, Matheny was burning people's arms arms off for most of the year. And, you know, the converse of that is that the real winner here is Mike Matheny. What I think you're seeing is that the Cardinals' front office is a bit discordant. You've got a difference in views from how this team should be managed between John Moziliak and Bill DeWitt Jr., uh, the owner. And I think Bill DeWitt Jr. is a big Mike Matheny fan. And that's fine. Mike Matheny had a good year last year um, with all of the way that people underperformed. You know, a lot of us talk about how they outperformed 
Pakoda and baseball prospectus predictions of how the team would do, which I think we all thought were uh, very conservative. He did outperform them. Um, a lot of his players underperformed, and the team still had a winning record and made a run up until the recent end at a playoff spot. So he had a good year. It's just not good enough. So what you're seeing here is a referendum on Mike Matheny. I mentioned in our last podcast that John Mozeliak is eliminating all excuses for Mike Matheny to fail. And what we'll see this season after Mo goes out and adds an impact back, which I'm sure we'll talk about, after he bolsters the bullpen, and since he has solidified the coaching staff, there'll be nobody else to point the finger at, nobody else to fall on the sword except for the manager himself. And this team will not except another year of missing the playoffs. It won't happen. There will be a change in manager if they don't make it. But if they do, Mike Matheny will also stand to get some credit, and he'll stick around. So that, that's what I see happening. I see this being a very important year for Mike Matheny, and I see Mozeliak setting this up to where nobody, even Bill DeWitt Jr., can argue with the premise of replacing the manager if this is the year in which he fails. Yeah, phenomenal points. Uh, and let me just play a little bit of devil's advocate. And, and as Larry, as you well said, devil's advocate against my, myself. Um, what if it was true? Let's just say all things being equal, that the real fault here was in the people with whom Matheny trusted. You know, we always point to him, and, and I'm very quick to judge him and say, you know, he just gives the impression to me that he plans very well before the game but cannot manage within the game. What if, for argument's sake, Matheny had entrusted the components of the inside the game with the David Bells, with the Derek Lilliquist, and that these people who have, you know, and, and, and with uh, Chris Maloney, we have to go back to that one as well. And what if the flaws that we were seeing, and uh, granted many of them should be, uh, you know, attributed to Matheny, but what if the departure of these people, what if these things were the things that were supposed to happen? Dan? Well, it's an interesting premise, and I'll offer this thought. If what you're saying is true, and the supporting cast members were responsible for some of the poor performance and lackluster efforts and conditioning of this team last year, then they absolutely made the right call to replace those people. That's what you're supposed to do. I still put the accountability on the manager and the general manager and the president of baseball operations, however, because we knew for a long time during the season that certain decisions, regardless of which personnel were making them, were not working. So the decisions came too little too late. And that Matheny has to have accountability for. You don't continue to give the person who's underperforming responsibility to perform. And if that's what was happening, that's a problem. And that's a problem with the manager giving too much to the underperforming subordinate. And that's bad management, however you look at it. So Matheny gets a piece of this. He can't avoid it. Uh, but his his credibility and accountability are on the line this year, regardless. Well stated, very well stated, um, Larry. I know that you have uh, been involved with many nonprofits in, in your career. In fact, been a, a journalist. Oh, thinking along the same lines, you know, is that an evidence of a poor manager, as a poor leader of men? Uh, should he have said something earlier, or, or is it equally a, a referendum, which is a very uh, popular word in the last couple of days? Um, is it a referendum <laughs> on Mosaic? I, um, you know, I, I'm very, I'm very sympathetic to that point of view. I've been, um, you know, I've been a leader of an organization where I know that I was too nice to somebody who was non-performing. I mean, it's. That same thing has literally happened to me, and and I caught flack for it, and it is a very fair criticism. Now, I had reasons for doing what I did um, that, that weren't always evident, 
to, to other people. It wasn't always because I wasn't just cracking the whip because there were plenty of people in the course of my various managerial duties where, where I have cracked the whip. Typically, there is some reason. Now, you know, there's, there's being too nice. There's covering for people. There, right? There, there's trying to keep internal harmony and the, uh, and the why can't we all just get along kind of aspect of it. But as Dan says, ultimately, you know, the, he's entrusted with the performance of the team on the field. Um, you know, there, there certainly have been many critics who said, you know, if Jose was there, when Jose was there, he didn't give two hoots, you know, or two, two seconds of thought about pulling people out for an afternoon, you know, grinded out, you know, fundamentals um, session um, if he felt like things had uh, deteriorated. You really didn't see very much of that over the last several years with Mike Matheny when that kind of underling was not present. Um, so, so it's Mike's job in that case, and I think Dan alluded to this, you know, to have the person there, you know, if, if you're not, if you know, if you, if you know yourself well enough to know that you're not the one who's going to impose that kind of discipline or be the hard ass, then I think you have to find somebody who's willing to be, if that's what's required to, um, uh, to reset the ship and send it on its proper course. And, and thank you for that perspective. I, I too have sat in that seat where you have to make the decision of keeping someone or not keeping someone. And I have as well been guilty at times of allowing a person too much rope for one reason or another. It was just an interesting thought that had no, crossed it's a my good mind. Thought. But uh, guys, let's take one short, quick break. I'm, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about two players who recently, very recently, were just issued their releases. So stick with us. You're listening to the 37th episode of the official Redbird Rants podcast on Blog Talk Radio. And thanks for sticking with us. This is the 37th episode of Season 1 of the official Redbird Rants podcast. We broadcast through Blog Talk Radio you can find our recordings there. You can find us on iTunes. And you can also find all of our wrap-ups, all of our writings, all of our musings, all of our rants at redbirdrants.com. I am joined tonight. I'm Dr. Michael Miles, editor at Redbird Rants, joined by Dan Campbell and Larry Levin. And we are going to talk about two names right now. The first of those is Trevor Rosenthal, and the second is Alberto Rosario. Trevor Rosenthal, former closer who had some injury issues, had some control issues, has been granted his release. Now, he is going to have surgery and not be able to perform in the season of 2018. That being said, the Cardinals could have carried him through, maybe taken out some of the insurance policy on his contract, but they chose to go ahead and allow him to go to free agency. On the same time, Alberto Rosario is a minor league catcher who had been in the Cardinals organization for a while. But jokingly, I had put as our title for this part, who is or was Alberto Rosario? We'll start with you, Dan. Talk to us about those two releases. What do you think? Well, I'm going to start with the more interesting one, Alberto Rosario. And who is Alberto Rosario or who was he in his Cardinals tenure? And the answer to that question is simple. He's a trivia question, or rather the answer to a trivia question. And that will be who backed up Javier Molina for 20 games in 2016. And the answer will be Alberto Rosario to, to the tune of a 184 average and an intimidating 225 on, on base and 237 slugging. Uh, the likes that we haven't seen since Pete Big Sick Cosma graced our field. So that's Alberto Rosario. Oh. Having dispensed with him, Trevor Rosenthal, interesting question. The Cardinals on the face of it were probably set to to take on a six, seven, maybe even eight million dollar arbitration raise hit for Trevor Rosenthal this year, as Doc uh, smartly mentioned insurance could have potentially picked up pieces of that, perhaps not all of it, usually about 80%. Um, the Cardinals elected instead uh, to, to grant him his free agency, as you said. 
the, the play here with Rosenthal, if one were to keep him, would be to extend him for a two-year incentive-laden deal uh, on the back end when he'll be healthy. Okay. So he could perform a lot and make a lot of money, a la Greg Holland, uh, with the Kansas City Royals a couple of years ago, who, who ended up with that one-year deal with the player option with the Rockies. Some sort of similar deal for Rosenthal was sort of the play here. And I'm fine with what the Cardinals did, and here's why. The relief pitcher market is absolutely loaded, as we've written about ad nauseum on Redbird Rants. Whether you get the garbage bin options that are pretty affordable and probably aren't that much better than the current relievers on the team, or you go big, as I have suggested, and sign a couple of these power closers, there's a lot of flexibility and options, both right and left-handed, available in free agency. And not all of them are going to make a lot of money because that's just not how the market works. Secondly, any team that gives Trevor Rosenthal a chance will only be giving him a two-year contract in order to guarantee performance for them in that second year when he's actually healthy. No one, no one will give him a three-year deal. There is no chance. There's, just, there's no chance at all that he gets a three-year deal. The reason I make the point is to the extent that he comes back and he performs well, he's going to be, what, 28, 29 years old? Two years from now? Yeah. Well, exactly. So the Cardinals could then sign him as a free agent if they wanted him back and sign him to a four-year contract from age 28 to 32. It's almost a perfect scenario. The Cardinals understand this. Their front office is intelligent, and they know that releasing him now will save them money in the short term for the payroll they're going to inevitably add in other areas maybe Giancarlo Stanton, maybe a big reliever, who knows, and they can sign him again later. I always fail to understand why people think once you let go of a player, that's the last time you can ever touch them. It's like you get a one and done. Of course, that's not the case. It happens all the time where players get traded and then re-signed by the team that traded them at the deadline. This is similar to that situation, and the Cardinals could and maybe smartly would offer Trevor Rosenthal a contract once he's healthy and he's proved himself on someone else's dime for a year. Larry, what do you think? I think I think this offseason for the St. Louis Cardinals is, uh, for lack of a better uh, phrase, a Gantt chart. And if anybody knows what a Gantt chart is, it's a project sequencing schedule. And that's what the Cardinals are working on right now and that's what's going on with these moves. Um, obviously, with Rosenthal, you have the compounding issue of him not being available this year. But what I mean is the Cardinals are doing everything in their power to clear space on their 40-man roster. They need to have flexibility because they're planning on both trades and free agent moves that are going to require that they have space. So, so you know, with these two – and then, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they also took Mejia off the 40-man roster, correct? So so what they're doing right now is making room. As far as Trevor Rosenthal is concerned, they can, you know, once he's a free agent, they can play like anybody else can play. And they may well already know what they're – knowing the Cardinals, they certainly know what the dollar value is that they would ascribe to a two-year contract the first of which is basically uh, foregone, and the second of which, you know, is either a straight, you know, uh, this is what we'll pay you the second year, or it's a team option where they get decide, to decide with a buyout. Of course, they know that others can compete, but I don't think they're that worried about that. As, as Dan said, you know, huge amount of relievers out there, huge number of options that they can try out in-house. You know, as, as, as most baseball aficionados know, you know, what a bullpen looks like at the beginning of the year is rarely what a bullpen looks like, you know, mid-year or at the end of the year. So, you know, this is going to be a rebuilding project for the bullpen. Rosario, to me, other than clearing space on the 40-man, doesn't mean much other than reaffirming that, you know, right now, you know, they have a very solid number two catcher in Carson Kelly. I personally would be uh, very, very surprised if he's one of the folks dealt. I'd give it a 10 or 15% chance 
Um, but but other than making more room on the on the forty man, I don't think there's big news with Rosario going away. Thank you both. I'll I'll tell you, my heart hurt when Rosario left. Uh, I'm saying that with my tongue firmly pressed in my cheek. <laughs> <clears throat> But it, it does beg one question that I want to pose to sort of toss out to the both of you, and it was the, my response to his release that I tossed out to my cousin, who he and I taught Cardinal Baseball all the time. And that question is this. With Rosario gone, who is your AAA catcher? Larry. Well, I'm not – I'm going to – for, I know this is rare for me, but I'm going to throw it back to you because you're the one who's in Memphis. You tell us who you think the triple A catcher is going to be. Uh, I'll give you an answer in just a minute. Dan, do you have any idea? Andrew Kneiser. Kneisner. Kneisner. I don't know how to say his last name. It's phonetically Kniezner. impossible to pronounce. Uh, yeah, you can tell me it's said one way. I'll never believe you because it's impossible to pronounce. There's a K and N, a Z and N. I don't know that there are any vowels in that name, but the kid is toasted and roasted the Arizona Fall League out of absolutely nowhere. He's like the offensive juggernaut of the offseason that no one's talking about, and he's the heir apparent to the heir apparent to Yadier Molina. So get this kid on your radar Call up Miriam Webster. Ask him how to pronounce the kid's name because we need to know because he's the starter in AAA. He's going to be in Memphis all the time this year, Doc. I know, and I'm so glad you said that because I, I, that's exactly who I was going to point to. My cousin disagrees with me. He says it's not time yet, but I'm telling you, the stats you just pointed to from the Arizona Fall League are 100% telling me that at this time next year, we may be discussing the incredible trade chip that the Cardinals will have in the way of Carson Kelly. And we've talked a lot about him as a potential trade chip this year. You know, everybody wanted to hold on to him, which I do not disagree with. But with the rise of this young K last name player, and that's what I like to call him, the K last name (laughs) player. You know, it's, it's sort of like when you're reading uh, Dostoevsky, you just call the names by the first letter because there's no <laughs> rhyme or reason for what to call them. So this K catcher is, a, is absolutely going to be the starter, I think, this year in AAA. And I'm telling you, watch out for him because it could make – if he comes in and roars like a lion like he is in Arizona Fall League, he could make – it to where Carson Kelly is a trade piece by the trade deadline. That's a real bold prediction of mine, and I'm just putting that out there now. Uh, my cousin's response, by the way, for anyone interested, he said that Carson Kelly is your AAA catcher, and I don't see that happening at all. Any thoughts on that from you guys before we move on? I, I just want to say real quickly, I, I'm I'm really on the fence with Nisner on – whether or not he's ready for a full season at AAA, even with the AFL. I mean, he only he only had he had less than half of a season at Springfield. Um, he still has hit reasonably well. He's hit reasonably well. There's no question about it. Um, but um, you know, I just I don't know. I mean, and I honestly haven't seen any articles about whether or not they intend to slot him at AAA to start the season. Have you guys seen that? I have not seen it, but I'll tell you, why not give him a shot to reward his performance by starting him off at AAA? And if he falters, move him back down. You know that every time that there's a spring training, there will be a huge list of non-roster invitation catchers. And just pick the top performer of any veteran minor league deal you could sign and keep those guys around. And you know, that could be it. I guess you could look at the free agent for a backup catcher. Chris Iannetta comes to mind, a little pop at the catcher position. The problem is yeah. you can't sell those guys on the Cardinals because Yachty won't ever let them play, which I'm personally fine with. But, uh, you know, I I think people need to pump the brakes on, you know, donning Knitzner or Nisner or whatever the hell his name is um, with – sort of the Carson Kelly title. He's got a ways to go to get to that sort of status, but it certainly is exciting and it's a good problem to have. Yeah. See, here's what, the only thing I don't know is, and this is, this is why I, I deferred to Michael is, 
I don't know, you know, where they want. You know, catchers are such a, you know, different species, and they require such, you know, specialized kind of instruction. You know, we saw the path that Kelly took after he changed positions, right? You know, and we also know that Knizner can play other positions. So, so I don't know where they feel like he's going to get the best instruction. I don't know if, you know, like with Kelly, what did they say? They said, don't worry about your hitting for a year and a half or two, right? And learn how to play catcher, and we'll worry about the hitting later. And what happened was, you know, he became this unbelievably knockdown, dragout defensive catcher, won a minor league gold glove, and then and then the, the hitting started to return, right? I, I just don't know enough about this guy and about his match with the minor league system to know where the best place for him is. So my reservation. And I think that's very valid. I, I'm very high and, and certainly biased on the coaching staff in Memphis. And mm-hmm. for a player like Kay Ketcher, it, to me, <laughs> makes a lot of sense to put him with the stubby clap and the Buddha and mm-hmm. uh, the, the guys who were there um, because, you know, you got some incredible, incredible uh, personnel who who's there. And, and, and to be quite honest with you, there's going to be a new pitching coach in Memphis this year because right, right. Um, Eversgird was, was called up to be uh, actually promoted into bullpen the coach, bullpen yeah. coach in St. Louis. And he yeah. was the pitching coach in Memphis. And so uh, look for, you know, that would be really exciting. And, and that, I'm going to make a prediction there too. I think that it's time for Jason Simontacci to come up and take on that role. Uh, huh. They're really high within the organization on Simon Tachi. He does amazing work at Double A, and it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him move up into that post. Which that's just a perfect person to put somebody like a K catcher working with, in my opinion. That's, that's now, a great call. Let's yeah, let's do this, guys. Let's take another really brief, brief break because I want to devote the rest of the time to some incredible topics. One of them will take up probably the rest of our time, and that is a huge slugger, not named Ozuna, not named Yelich, but coming from the Miami Marlins, and the potential, the rumors surrounding that. So stick with us, come back after the break, and hear all of our thoughts on a Marlins outfielder. You're listening to the 37th episode of the official Redbird Rants podcast on Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for sticking with us. You are listening to the 37th episode of the official Redbird Rants podcast on Blog Talk Radio. Talking tonight is our contributors, Dan Campbell, Larry Levin, and I'm Dr. Michael D. Miles. Let's jump into it, guys. Let's not hide behind it at all. Let's talk about John Carlos Stanton. Man, if there has been a more polarizing and energizing name to have rolled around in the Cardinals stratosphere. I, I don't remember one. I remember back when Albert was coming up to the end of his contract and what was going to happen with Albert, and that had a lot of energy, but I don't remember it having the same energy as this. Let's start with you, Larry. Talk to us from your perspective about John Carlos Stanton. Well, the really interesting thing about this to me is that the, the two – the two biggest contracts that the Car- that, that the Cardinals have talked about over the last few years are the ones that didn't happen. They were the Albert Pujols contract and the Jason Hayward contract, right? And, you know, both for very good reasons. I mean, you know, the Cardinals knew, you know, what Albert's health was like. They knew about his foot issues. You know, they knew what was likely to happen. Um, you know, and then with Hayward, you know, they were confronted with a guy who they had basically only traded for because of the terrible, terrible, you know, death of, of Oscar Tavares, and, and he ended up having a great year with the Cardinals, and then his value was, you know, was 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 well beyond the roof, and, um, you know, and the Cubs bought in, and, you know, for some reason, Jason Hayward, for the most part, with glimmers, has forgotten totally what happens when you step up into the batter's box. Now you're facing somebody, you know, who's different for a couple of different reasons. He's younger than Pujols was. Um, you know, he's just had this, you know, beyond 
you know, beyond belief season, um, one for the ages. Um, you know, it's um, there are no questions with him like there were with Hayward about where you're getting your value from. You know, with Hayward, you knew you had the phenomenal, you know, you, the phenomenal defensive value, and then you hoped that he would continue to be an above-average uh, offensive player, which he wasn't. But here you have the real, the real package offensively, and that not just with a guy who can hit a whole lot of home runs like a Jay Bruce or something, but somebody who gets on base at a very, very impressive clip, you know, whose power numbers are beyond almost anybody's. And and the other factor is just the wow factor, right? I mean, you know, whether you think it's good to trade for Giancarlo Stanton or not, what what bona fide Cardinal fan would say that it wouldn't be fun to watch him at the plate? you know, for the next X number of years for the St. Louis Cardinals in the middle of the lineup. I mean, anybody who says that is just plain lying. So, so you know, the excitement factor is just compelling. Now, there are tons of factors, you know, about whether we should or we shouldn't, and maybe we should, maybe I should stop there and we can take turns and then we can get into maybe more of the, you know, who might be a trade, who might be a trade chip, you know, uh, what do you think about the money, that kind of thing. So how about if I pass it on to you guys and then come back to me after a couple minutes? Yeah, perfect. In fact, let's just go right on to you, Dan, and get your just your gut reaction, and then we're going to circle back to those topics, those questions that Larry raised. St. Louis Cardinal fans, John Carlos Stanton is the hero <laughs> in need. I've been listening and reading and talking to really intelligent people, the smartest people, the bigliest people, okay? (laughs) All the guys here at Redbird Rants and, you know, a bunch of people at my work and even some disparaging Chicago Cubs fans when I can stand it and want some cheap frills. And I'll tell you, I've heard a lot of arguments about this and that and the contract and, oh, my, and all these things. Giancarlo Stanton is the only transformative player that is available this offseason for the St. Louis Cardinals, and he can be had for cheap. And no, I'm not mincing words, and no, I'm not talking about prospects. I'm talking about his contract. It's a bargain. $295 million over 10 years. Here's what you get. You get the best power hitter in the game of baseball. You get that best power hitter in the game of baseball in the prime of his career, and you get him coming off of his best season with all the momentum in the world, with a 280 batting average, a 380 on base, and a 631 slugging percentage. His OPS plus was 165. You'd have to combine Piscotti, Gritchick, and Alberto Rosario times 10 to get to that number. It's insane, okay? He, and here's the thing. Everybody wants to wait until next year's free agent class to get Harper or Machado. Well, let me tell you, every team with deep pockets is going to be in that auction, and the Cardinals won't win it. They haven't in the past. There's no reason to believe they'll get into a bidding war at all, one. And two, if they do, that they'll win it because they've shown no propensity to even go that route in the past. You have a bidding war of precisely one here, and that is Derek Jeter and the new front office of the Marlins. What do they want? They would take someone just taking all of the money and flipping them uh, a potential high-risk, high-reward pitching prospect. They would take that right now. You could call and get the deal done now. We could get on the phone with Derek Jeter and FaceTime, sure, he FaceTimes. We could FaceTime with him and say, hey, we'll, we'll give you Arturo Reyes and we'll take the whole contract. And he'd be like, no take backs, and then he'd hang out. I, I got him on the other line. Do you want me to hook him in? Yeah, yeah, hook him in. I've got some things I want to talk to him about uh, other than this deal because the deal will be done in 10 seconds, okay? he is. His contract is a value, 10 years, and it's not $325 million. I hear people say that. That's incorrect. 10 years, $295 million left on the contract, and the contract's backloaded. So those last three years, the years that are going to hurt, are the ones that are in the $30 million range. But those seven years from ages 28 to 35, you were going to get the best power hitter in the league. And 
if healthy, which is an if I'm sure we'll come back to, he will hit more home runs than anybody in, the, in, in baseball over the next seven years, and that's what you'll get. That will be the anchor of your lineup, and people will want to come here and play with him. What you're going to see, and this is a bold prediction, much like the NBA building super teams and all-star players joining forces to play together, you're going to start seeing that in Major League Baseball free agency, I think. And the guys like Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Chris Bryant, those guys are going to lead the charge to get those teams together. And in order to be on the front lines, with, with that process, the St. Louis Cardinals need to have an attraction that other superstars want to play with. And that player is Giancarlo Stanton. The, it's a good deal. The first seven years, I think most people would take if he was a free agent. You would sign him to a seven-year deal for, uh, what would it be, $230 million? Don't you think he would get that on the free, free agent market? It's rhetorical because the answer is, of course, Easily. yes. Yeah, absolutely. They're talking about J.D. Martinez getting $200 million, and you don't want Stanton for 295 I know the last three years are going to hurt, but that's the price of admission for the best power hitter and a transformative number three hitter for your lineup that we haven't had since Matt Holiday was in his prime since Albert left. He's that level. He's that good. And the Cardinals have to make this deal. It's unacceptable to not acquire this player when he's so readily available. They're literally backing up the truck, and all you got to do is take on the money. And this team has a ton of money. One last point before I turn it back to you, Doc and Larry. Josh, one of our great writers and contributors at Redbird Rants, mentioned today that the second phase of Ballpark Village in St. Louis, which is owned by the DeWitt family, the owner of the Cardinals, and the big TV deal, Larry, I think you mentioned that, are, are both kicking in soon. Those contracts and the revenues therefrom become more and more lucrative over the next five to ten years. The Cardinals are literally printing money out of the city of St. Louis, and it's not going to stop. It's only getting better for them. They can afford to make this deal, and they can afford additional moves as well if it comes to next offseason when they can maybe get a, I don't know, Josh Donaldson for a discount because everybody's paying $400 million for Manny Machado. So that was a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. But this is a move the Cardinals have to make, they can make, and, by the way, they should make in a heartbeat. Okay, so real quick question to both of you. Do the Cardinals acquire Stanton, yes or no, go Dan? Yes. Larry? I think there's a good chance they'll be able to get him. Oh, do, do they – a, I think they do want to get him, and B, I think there's a good chance. So is that a yes? I'll say yes, for God's sake. I have so much more to say forcing me into these one-word answers. It's uh, part of purgatory, my friend. <laughs> okay, so there was a purpose to asking the yes or no question. So now the question that I pose to both of you is, Fast forward a little. By the way, we have about 10 minutes left in, on our broadcast. So, Stanton is a cardinal. Tell me who is not a cardinal in the wake of that. Let's start with you, Larry, since you need more time on the floor. <laughs> Real quick. A um, couple things about Dan's response. Actually, it does. the contract does zoom up to $32 million, but, but after his age 35 year, it goes down again. So it goes down again to 29 and then, and then 20, to 20, 25, and then the option year is 25. So it's not right. even as, as, as bad at the end. So that's good. Um, you know, well, you also I, have to add in, in, since you brought that, hang on, Larry, since you brought that up, you also have to add in the opt-out that's after the third year that he would be with the Cardinals. We can't forget about that. That right. is very critical to the money well, side right. of things. So, Go ahead. Well, the, and that goes to what you were asking about, because I think, I think here's a, here's a very simple part of the analysis. I think if you're going to give up significant prospects, the opt-out has to come out, in my opinion, um, because, you know, they have Stanton for three years is phenomenal, um, you know, but it is not a, um, it's not a legacy contract. It doesn't secure you for the next decade. It doesn't let you be the place that he becomes the Hall of Famer. 
Um, so, so to my mind, I agree with everything Dan said about Ballpark Village, about the TV contract. The TV contract itself, the increase in the new contract, which kicks in this year, almost pays for the entirety of the Stanton contract. And if you get Miami to pick up part of it, it may pay for the entirety of the Stanton contract. And it gets even better because the Cardinals have equity in the, in the deal in the new TV contract. And that equity, of course, includes, you know, the value of the marketing of Mike, of Giancarlo Stanton, right? So, That's right. you know, it's not just about what the player does on the field. It's what he means to the franchise, you know, and all those, um, all those jerseys and all those, you know, local, um, you know, TV appearances. So, so there's tremendous value there to the Cardinals. Um, I think if I do happen to think that if the deal happens with the Cardinals, there will be, you know, two to three prospects of note that will go. Um, I think there will be, it could be a major league player and a highly regarded prospect and a lower minors prospect. But I think the Cardinals would then insist on knowing that they weren't losing the player at the end of three years. So my, I think the most likely scenario for the Cardinals, if they're going to win, is two to three prospect removal of the um, removal of the three-year um, uh, bump out by Stanton, and maybe, maybe the Marlins pick up a minor, very minor portion of the salary over the term. Um, there's, it's also been talked about that the Cardinals could take another player the Marlins want to get rid of, like a D. Gordon or a Martin Prado, off their hands. I don't see Prado. I think he's older. I think the contract's too much. Uh, I think D. Gordon probably doesn't fit what they're trying to do. Uh, unless the Cardinals wanted to turn around and flip Colton Wong as part of the deal. Um, but I would say most likely um, major league ready, uh, almost major league ready, and a lower minor prospect, remove the three-year kick out, and maybe the Marlins pick up a few bucks. That, that's my projection. Dan? Well, the only problem I have with Larry's remarks and normally I'd have a list of grievances very long, and I'd, I'd mail them to him, certified mail, and I'd make fun of him in the mail name. I won't do that. The only issue I have with his response is getting rid of the opt-out, my guess is, will be nearly impossible, and here's why. Stanton has a lot of leverage in this deal because he has full no-trade protection. The mm-hmm. only person who would, waive, who would be able to waive the opt-out is not the Marlins. It's no, Stanton. Stanton. And he would have to agree. I know you mentioned that. That is something, that's a piece that I, what does he get by doing that, right? The only thing he gets is he he is with the same team. And he may not want to be with the same team. He may say, I'm fine with testing out the Cardinals and going there for three years, which, by the way, I still do the deal even with three prospects for three years of him. Are you kidding me? We get him for three years, maybe $90 bucks for his age, 28 to 31 season. Sign me up. That's, that's called uh, mitigating your risk to the extreme. I love that. And I don't care if it costs three prospects. Anybody of his caliber on the trade market, even with two years of control, would cost you the prospects. I'm fine with it. But it's going to be hard, if not impossible, to get him – to get rid of the opt-out. I think that would be problematic. That might ruin a deal. But there is one way that that might be possible to happen. What could you give them? And I saw this. I think I was reading the Post-Dispatch this morning. I saw something on this. Do the Cardinals need to sign some other pieces to make St. Louis a more attractive destination for Stanton to entice him, to incentivize him, to accept a deal or renegotiate part of his deal in a trade to the Cardinals? And I'll leave that question to you, Doc, to to chime in on. Well, Dan, to answer your question, I think from my perspective, it's simpler than that. Uh, I see that point, and I think there's a lot of validity to that point. I think that if the Cardinals certainly picked up other people that – would be attractive to uh, Giancarlo Stanton. But let's remember, too, that Stanton just played for the Marlins, and he played with some from good players, but not, not some outstanding players, not some stellar players uh, who were, you know, he, he wasn't playing with Aaron Judge. You know, he was, he was playing with great players like Yelich and Ozuna 
and he was playing on a team that unfortunately lost a great superstar uh, pitcher. I think it's simpler. I think, as Dan, I believe you even pointed out today in our private group, that you could go get Stanton today without giving up anyone if you are willing to take on the gross majority of that contract. And by the numbers that you're throwing out there, and I mean gross majority, if you just said, we'll take it all on, I think the Marlins will go for that. And the the big challenge for us is really just getting Stanton to waive that no trade clause to come to the Cardinals. And I worry that Mike Matheny is going to be a roadblock. Larry, let's turn to you again. What was one of the other um, questions you had posed? Um, I think um, going back to Dan's question about the the three-year, I think one way you could get around that, arguably, Dan, would be by agreeing to um, the option year now, um, which is another $15 million. So then – you know, so then what he's what he's looking at is an additional aggregate 15 that he would have to then make up, um, you know, in another contract. So then he's weighing, you know, what the contract's going to be for him when he's 30, 31, um, you know, to make a deal. And it's, and, and it's going to have to include, you know, uh, at least three years of over 30 million and at least two, another year of 29 and two more years of 25. So that might be one mitigator. Um, you know, I don't see the deal being as simple as, you know, the Cardinals pick up the entirety of the contract in Stanton waves. Um, you know, uh, maybe it'll happen that way. Um, I just don't see it happening. But I do see that there's a little bit of leverage by uh, exercising that um, uh, that final year of the contract, which gains another $15 million. It's not a lot because the present value of it isn't a lot because it's a decade out. I get that. But, but it's something that could help offset the prospect of having to renegotiate a contract three years from now. Well, Larry, you could take the $15 million option year at the end, strip it from the deal, and exercise it as a kicker, a signing bonus for approving no, the trip. That's true, too. And that increases yeah. the present value of the money to Stanton. It puts more dollars right. in his pocket. He's effectively making $50 bucks next year. And uh, that might be – that's an interesting play. That might be enough to entice him. One last thing on what Larry said. Uh, The fact of the matter is a lot of people don't know this. John Carlos Stanton could have been had by any team in Major League Baseball just for taking the contract when he was passed through waivers last year, and every team said no, every single team. Correct. That doesn't mean that's still true. I agree. But – That's where the conversation starts if you're a team negotiating a deal. So from the Marlins' perspective, that's the starting point. Will anybody take the whole deal? The answer, the market has told us, is no. So what's next? If we eat some of the money, okay, we're not just going to give you the player at a discount. You have to give us something in return, and that's when we start talking about prospects. And the teams on both sides have to value how much of a discount on a Giancarlo Stanton contract in his latter years – is a prospect worth. And then it will be, if there are multiple bidders on Stanton, which there very well could be, who has the best prospect to offer. And this system will be gamed, and the St. Louis Cardinals will, in all likelihood, have the opportunity to make a best and final offer if they're in any sort of bidding ward, and their destiny will be in their own hands on the quality and amount of prospects that they could give up. They they have all the means to acquire him and they can and should do it. And today on uh, and today in MLB trade rumors, the Cardinals, the Red Sox, and the Dodgers were the three teams listed as most likely prospects for Stanton. Okay, guys, as we go off the air, we've got about thirty seconds. What I'd like to do is have each of you just throw out the names very quickly that you would offer in the deal to get Stanton. In other words, what names are you sending from the Cardinals? Starting with you, Dan. Flaherty and Hudson, I think, gets the deal done. All right, Larry? Um, Flaherty or Hudson and Sierra. Interesting. And my take was I certainly said Flaherty, and I said uh, Hudson, very likely somebody else like that. Um, Maybe Austin Gomber, somebody like that. So, Guys, thanks for joining me on this one. What a great show. Thank you all for listening. Check us out at redbirdranch.com. 
Go Cardinals. Good night, everybody. Thanks, guys.